0: Welcome back to the Body Podcast where we talk strength, conditioning, lifestyle, and everything in between.
1: Today's episode, we have body member Randy with us. I like to call him our dancing body mascot. He brings all the good vibes anywhere he goes. He is one of the most interesting people i know and for that we are making this a two-part episode get ready
0: Randy welcome to the body podcast hey how's it going Scott good yeah. to be here I don't even have to say your last name because everyone just knows Randy that's the, right. the, the only famous Randy we have it,
1: it's funny you say that because here in Arizona we'll get into it everybody knows me as Randy but then like all my military friends know me as Sal and they yeah. don't they don't call me Randy or they don't call me by my last name so like I have these two different worlds where it's like I'm either Randy just Randy or just Sal yeah.
0: I that's feel like pretty funny when you're in high school to college you get that a lot yep. yeah everyone calls you one thing and then they just make up a nickname make a nickname yep Yep. so uh, let's get into it so people obviously people see you at the gym and everything and know you as a friendly awesome fun guy dancing while you're working out but let's go before Arizona before, before
1: 2018 when you moved here Young Randy, what was he like growing up? Um, you know, uh, I I always say I was on another podcast. I say before before I knew I was mixed race, I knew I was poor. Uh, <laughs> so you know, kind of similar to Nikki. You know, I, I grew up poor, poor and redneckish, and, and I'm I'm proud of that. I'm proud of my upbringings. Uh, I'm not ashamed of where I came from. Um, you know, I was frog gigging with my dad, and you know, everybody else was you know, I don't chasing chasing girls. Um, but yeah, grew up lower income, a hard hardworking family, adopted into a, a middle class blue collar family and, and, you know, it was FFA in high school, stuff like that. Like just kind of always did things my way though. Like even, even growing up, you know, I, 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 we had talked before Scott about this. I wasn't a big team sports guy. I didn't love team sports. You know, I picked up a tennis racket randomly in high school, made varsity tennis, loved it. Um, but yeah, like sang in choir, uh, in high school, played tennis, student government, and was really, really big in the FFA. I would say the FFA helped shape a lot of uh, my business-minded disciplines.
0: And it's a little different that you mentioned that your siblings were all team sports growing up. And you were like, Uh, fuck them kids. I ain't playing with them. Literally,
1: yeah, (laughs) yeah. So I've got five older sisters. All my sisters were real big on, they were student government, Multi sport in high school, you know, varsity, four year varsity softball, varsity volleyball, you know, those kind of athletes that knew that they probably weren't going to go play in college, but so made sure academics were good and transitioned straight into college, got their degrees, you know, and progressed in their life. Or for, I would say I've taken a more uh, unconventional path.
0: Which we'll, we'll get into is you graduate and you do what every kid does you go to college. And you do what every other kid does—you start a business while you're in college, right? Yep. Everyone does that. Yep. Yep. Especially, Pretty in, much. especially you know, back then when we were going to college. No one was entrepreneur. Was it? Was go to college? It, it wasn't get a even job. a thing. Yeah, it yeah. wasn't.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting to be alive right now and hear like just this like hustle entrepreneur culture. Like it's like the cool thing where. You know, twenty years ago, to a little over twenty years ago, I'm old. Um, <laughs> I I had to try and convince my parents, so I had a full ride to state school schools in Arizona. So I grew up in Yuma. Um, by the time I, I graduated high school, University of Arizona, Northern Arizona University, they've said, "Hey, college is free." But I convinced my parents to let me go to junior college first, and so I could stay in Yuma. You know, Believe it or not, I wanted to stay in Yuma. Uh, and it was through that I worked, I, I was able to manage a small coffee shop, then manage a Dairy Queen, and by 19, I had built up enough confidence, equity, and just, just perseverance in myself to go out and purchase and start a coffee shop in Yuma. That's awesome. We, I,
0: we talked about this earlier. Dairy Queen, anywhere from a small town. Dairy Queen's like yeah, a hangout yeah, spot. Yeah, here, yeah. here yeah. it's, here it's you know, you go to get your ice cream. Like, yeah. where we were, was like, we'd pull, up, hey, let's go to DQ. Literally. And, like, hang out Literally, outside, yeah. like, in your high school. It was, yeah, that dude. was a spot where you hung out at. Your friends worked there. Yeah. It was with yeah. the high school kids. And you, you, you did instead of going out. It was, <laughs> so, whenever it says Dairy Queen, I'm like, it's a little different. Well, I, um,
1: and it's funny, too, because I was uh, 17, 18, and 19 going from the coffee shop to Dairy Queen to my own business. And all of my employees were my peers or even older than me. Like some of my employees at the coffee shop were like 22, 23, 24. And in a small town back then, like that was a big age gap. I'm 19 yeah. years old yeah. writing the check for a 24 year old. You know, you, I remember that being like a big deal. Yeah. And you, <laughs> when you're
0: growing up, like when you were 17, like 20 is like, Oh my God, you're yeah. so older, much older than me. <laughs> and now it's like, it's it's like a, a few years. Yeah. yeah it's uh, yeah. it's crazy. So, um, I guess what was the thought process from like, uh, obviously you, you, you go to college you, you do the coffee shop you're there and then you join the special forces yeah. So, ha, tell, yeah talk me through like that thought process that you had what made you
1: get rid of the coffee shop and that dream yep. of entrepreneur to go to the special forces yeah no I absolutely appreciate that so uh, one it, again it's like in in life we only ever see a glimpse of somebody whether it's on social media or in real life or when we meet them where they're at in their life I grew up insecure, embarrassed of everything about myself from how I looked physically to social economic issues. Uh, I just, I was really never comfortable in my skin. Um, but I always lashed out. So I kind of used became the jokester, you know, you guys kind of see it body. Um, I always lashed out and I always knew what it was like to be the underdog. So even at body, you guys see a lot, you know, I'll talk to everybody. I really, oftentimes I'll just come in the room and look for somebody who looks like shy or they look like they're like, they don't feel like they fit in. And I'll go talk to that person before i talk to somebody I actually know because I know what it's like to be that individual. Yeah, you never talk to me in class. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't talk to losers. <laughs> I say said, I, said I talk to shy people, not losers. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, um, so for me, it was... Honestly, the coffee shop became overwhelming. Uh, revenue was good. Uh, I was really good at marketing. I'm really good at customer service. I was really bad at finances. Uh, I, I was really bad at finances till probably about four years ago. And really, I just started outsourcing uh, financial decisions to other people. It makes sense. When you're yeah. 19, 19, 20 years old, 21, you,
0: you yeah. go, I'm selling it for this. Uh, I'm paying this. It, you don't realize that taxes, taxes, paying employees yes. cost, all these factors yep. go in market all Bro, this comes in a factor. They, you just say I'm selling a coffee for $4. I'm paying $2 for it. I'm making $2.
1: Perfect example that you just brought up. The electric bill that I my first month's electric bill is 2003. My first month's electric bill in my coffee shop was $3,500. That is an expense I did not account for. <laughs> like oh my God. Do I pay my electric bill at my coffee shop or my car payment, my rent, yeah. my <laughs> groceries, I paid the electric bill, yeah. you know? So um, it, had, it had its ups and downs, again, generated revenue, it did good as a model, but ultimately, I look back and I go, I wasn't properly equipped. Again, this is pre-YouTube, this is pre-TikTok, so there wasn't like I was just able to get out there and get easy access to business knowledge. Like, you, you really, if it wasn't in your brain, if it wasn't in your immediate network, you weren't getting access to it. So, sold a coffee shop uh, early 2004, I'm a big why person, why do we do things, why does this work that way? Why why, is it, why, why does the world function the way it does? Uh, I would like to believe that I'm a problem solver. So for myself and joining the military, it wasn't a matter of like God and country. Uh, I definitely got indoctrinated into that. But when I first joined, I was just like, why? Why are we at war? What are we doing? So sold a coffee shop, uh, worked some just odds and end jobs uh, while I was in this, this this limbo state. At that point, I knew I wanted to get out of Yuma. Uh, I was looking at the University of Arizona, going, to, going back to school full time. And something to me was like, dude, like right now, school's just not your thing. Like I, I didn't want to be in college in the traditional sense. I walked in a random recruiter's office, uh, you know, funny story watching a Marine, uh, in Yuma, the recruiting office has all branches in, in one office. I don't know if it's like that everywhere or not by walking uh, the recruiting office and Yuma a very big Marine town. So right off the bat, I'm like, I'm going to be a Marine. I walk in and the Marine recruiters like, Hey, you're, you're kind of fat. Uh, we, we, we got, we got to work on you. It's going to be, it's going to be a few months. And, and on my way out the door, this fat guy, <laughs> this fat army recruiter leans over and he's like, I can have you shipped in three weeks. And I was like, Hey, say less, let's do this. So I actually got duped a little bit. My initial job in the military was counterintelligence, um, Um, Not that it was a bad dupe, but I had no clue what I was doing. So I signed up and I didn't even know it. I had just joined the Army Reserves, so I'm a part-time soldier, Army Reserves as counterintelligence. Um, It's through that training where I first was exposed to some special forces uh, individuals and uh, high-level operators in the intelligence community. And I knew, oh man, there's this bigger world of government military out there. So from that, I actually finished all that training, came back to save Arizona, then transitioned to active duty, went and served in the 82nd Airborne uh, Um, first uh, all the way H minus all the way airborne H minus, uh, served serving a second airborne. And then after, um, seeing Iraq and, and deploying uh, a couple times and, and just getting, get my feet wet in combat is when I said, I want to become a U.S. army green beret. And then I went to the, the pipeline there, which is approximately 18 months. And, and that's when circa 2000 and 2009, 2010, uh, is when I donned my green beret. 2010 is when I donned the green beret, but 2009 is when I did my training for it. So, okay.
0: and what's it, as much details as you can give, I know some know some stuff you can't talk about, but 18 months yeah what, what was that training like what was that? yeah, like whole process no, absolutely
1: you know and, and even to that point right there like uh, I just want to say like when when an individual in the military says I can't tell, I can't tell you about that, bullshit. Bullshit. They're, they're just trying to hype up what they are. What we really can't talk about is how we implemented all the different trainings in a, in a real-world scenario. Yeah. That's Those are the things that are classified or top secret. I, I carried a top secret clearance from 2004 until 2016. Yeah. Uh, I, I hate when I hear military guys be like, oh, man, I can't tell you about the specifics of that operation. Dude, shut up. You're just trying to make yourself sound more... Spooky than you are Um, Look The the pipeline for special forces I, I often liken it to Collegiate and professional athletes Those who make it Just make it those who don't have these wild stories of how hard it was so for me and my peers it was like yeah, we just showed up every day and we executed the mission like you you did the next task so it's combined of you know physically challenging uh, events in months and seasons and uh, going out in the mil- out into the field and doing uh, tactical combat operations in a simulated environment uh, along with uh, a highly academic uh, aspect to be a green beret you have to be uh, tactfully sound physically fit and then you also have to be Pretty freaking smart. Uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of nerds in, in, in our special operations community. You know, I, I would say we're the we're the the individuals that could have went straight to college and gotten the degree, and many guys did actually. Many guys who and, and females uh, who serve in special operations community did have degrees. Um, but ultimately, for me, it was just. It was, it was easy, like you you just did it. You showed up every day and you did it again, just like sports, like you know, for you to go play college basketball, you showed up in your training and you went up playing college basketball. You weren't like, and then I had to do this special crazy thing. Yeah. I feel like it's those who don't make it who tell the most wild stories. Is it, it, it makes sense because you know,
0: you're getting told what to do. So there are people like me who was like, I don't want to go on my own. And if the coach is like, hey, you got to work out five days a week. Can you just give me a plan? Because I, I don't want to figure out what I want to do. If you just yep. tell me what I'll do, my class is this time, you do this, I yes. go to workout, I go to study hall, boom, yes. I can show up and I'll yes. do it. Yep. And that's it. There's people who's like, oh, like, coach isn't playing me, he doesn't believe. It's like, well, you didn't go to morning Lift. Literally. Like, Literally. When I wasn't playing, like it wasn't like... It wasn't like, I was mad, I was like, well, you know, I really haven't like played well in practice. I didn't, I missed a lift, you know, like I was like, it's it's kind of my summer wasn't as strong as the other kids ever beat me out. So it was on
1: me. Like I knew that literally. And and so that's, that makes sense. And I mean, look, to be a green beret, you have to be able to do five, five core things. Shoot, move, communicate, sustain and survive. Okay. So. Of those five things, it's very rare that you show up day one excellent at all. So do you lack physical fitness? Do you need to improve your running, your rucking, or your weightlifting? Do you lack the ability to effectively shoot, go to a range? Hand-eye coordination. Hand-eye coordination. You know, uh, sustain and survive is more on the, the mental, academic, and being able to plan. Like, whatever your shortcoming was, they addressed it. They told you it. And, again, like you said, we had physical fitness. We had training every morning and then we go into our next block of of training, whether it be language training for a specific foreign language or your specific job. I was trained to be a special forces communications sergeant, so I had to learn electrical theory and communications and everything from uh, HF radios to satellite communication, how to talk to aircraft, all these kinds of things. Would they break it up to where like, Hey, if you were one, one of your guys is in great
0: shape with a big hey, you're we got to work more on these things less yeah. Yeah, so they, yeah. they would yeah. figure it of out was just 20% of the days that this, 20 it's, 20%, it, it's no. hey you don't you're in you're in top tip ship yeah. or top shape let's get you over here let's work yeah. on this other part
1: so really what it was it was more as we call it we called it at the time big boy rules um was you had your day and they controlled our day from let's say 4 a.m., um, not, no exaggeration, from 4 a.m. to, say, like, 5 p.m., our day was controlled by them. So we were giving them 12, 13 days. They dictated our, our food, the time of training, the type of physical fitness we did, all that. But from 5 p.m. till the time you go to bed, that's your time to shore your weaknesses. Um, so for me, that's where I really learned the discipline of having a very extended work day. I can work 4, 5, 6 a.m. till 10, 11 o'clock at night, Six seven days a week for for weeks in uh, months yeah. if I have to yeah yeah so um, you
0: go you you spend ten years yep in special forces What, I guess what are, what are some of your most
1: memorable moments while you're there um <laughs> honestly Scottsdale <laughs> so <laughs> so um, on the uh, special forces team we called the operational attachment alpha the ODA I was also designated as the JTAC so I was a joint tactical air controller so. It's an Air Force skill and qualification. I went to school, an Air Force school, got trained, passed all of my exams, and you control uh, fixed and rotary wing aircraft and drones on the battlefield. So I would stack and rack aircraft and determine who is coming in and out of my battle space if we are in, a, in, a, in a, an event where we had troops in contact, where we are being engaged directly by an enemy force, and we have uh, a chance of being overwhelmed through whatever, we can call in fire support. So fire superiority is, is how we win. Wow, how, how I'm still here. Um, part of that was our training is in Gila Bend, or was at the time, my generation, because it, 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 it moves all over the country the time, our train was in Gila Bend, and the W in Old Town would give a government rate of like 60 bucks a night. <laughs> so we had to rent Suburbans to carry all of our uh, comms equipment, and we also needed to get – we needed the four-wheel drive capability to uh, get out to Gila Bend uh, into the mountain ranges uh, out there. So we would fly into Phoenix Sky Harbor, rent our Suburbans, go check into the W – party all night yeah. uh, something I don't do anymore uh, party all night and literally at like 4 or 5 a.m. we're flying to Gila Bend because we have to be on the range before the sun comes up because once the range goes goes hot goes live you're stuck so it's just a massive open like 10 mile rate, um, range you literally we get to a gate we punch in a code open up that gate we drive 10 miles across the range we call our, our leadership say hey we're, we're in the right spot so like I, I liked coming out here because it was one I had a bunch of friends from Arizona who were going to the Arizona state university at the time or just graduated. So I'm getting to see my old friends on a, you know, Hey, thank you for taxpayers on a government paid <laughs> trip. And I'm going to stay at the W or some other, you know, bougie Scottsdale hotel and, and then just fly down to Gila Bend, do my job and, and then come up here. I mean, we talked about it before. It's like, this is back when R first opened. And I mean, I'd be, I'd be at R and R at 11am on Sunday with like one of my best friends, uh teeny weenie. Um, you know, we'd be out, you know, she's like, well, my, my sister, And she was in the beverage industry. So she knew every single happy hour and where to go and where we were going next. R and R was the best. Yeah. we started R and R and I'm supposed to fly out Sunday at like 7 PM and it's like 2 PM and I'm, I'm walking sideways, texting, texting government travel, you know, getting government travel on the phone. Like, Hey, I need to change my flight to Monday again. Hey, thank thank you taxpayers. (laughs) Uh, uh, Change my flights. Cause uh, Sunday got a little, a little too fun day. Yeah.
0: But uh, all right. For you new people, we're going to get a little off topic, but for the people that have moved here during COVID and body, R&R was, if someone's like, hey, we're doing brunch pre-COVID at R&R, you strap on your boots, buckle buckle your belt. We are, yep. it's going to be a day. Yep. It, you were you there. There was no time limit. You yep. get there at 11 or 12 reservation. You're drinking all you can drink mimosas. You get a yep. burrito for $30. Yep. You're pounding mimosas till yeah. till like two or three, and then you're out in Old Town. Yes. And you are, by seven o'clock, you are...
1: Done. Dude, I took my parents there pre-COVID, 2019. I love bringing my parents up um, from. They live out in uh, rural California, right next to Yuma. I brought them to R and R. I thought like I was gonna like put it down on them, dude. I, I'm the one who had to go home. My parents, <laughs> they they burned R and R down. I, oh yeah, I got yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. That, that reminds me time. of my my uncle is like six foot seven, played, uh, drafted baseball, and his. his my cousin, his son turned 21. just like seven, eight years ago. He's like, Dad, I'm going to out-drink you. And he's like, no, you're not. He's like, I'm going to out-drink you. Uh, my birthday, 21st, we're going out, small town in Massachusetts. Well, I show up like, you know, three, four hours later because I was coaching. Yeah, I, was yeah. like, hey. I was like, hey, where's Mike? He's like... Oh, he's passed out. He tried to outdrink uh, his dad, Uncle Tom, and I'm just like, wait. Well, I'm like, so what are we doing? He goes, "Fuck him. We're going out." <laughs> so we're yeah. out to the bar birthday. Yeah. He didn't make it out. It was, yeah. it was awesome. Yeah, that's legit. Yep. But it's like a 21 year old kid in college thinks he's gonna outdrink a guy yeah. that's 45, 50. Has been doing it for yeah, years. Yeah, exactly. At
1: six, seven. Yeah. So it's like the dad's like, yeah, I, I still got it. Yeah, my I've got five older sisters. My my older sisters look. I always say there's at least uh, of my five older sisters. There's at least one who can outlift me one who can outdrink me one who's smarter than me uh one who can make more money than me that you know it's like yeah. i've always i've always been humbled by by family in those regards yeah that's great
0: all right so yeah your most memorable is coming back here and yeah.
1: I, it, it, compared to sports
0: too it's like when i look back high school wherever we used to play sports yeah i remember the games but it's like the bus rides yeah the, yeah the hanging out just when you're sitting in the locker yep. room just chatting lunches yep. eating you know at the, at the dining hall those are the things like you remember all that stuff more exactly. than uh yeah you know the stories and the practice of the games so yes exactly um, all right so You you do your service. Yep. First job out of... uh,
1: First job after military. um, I... Applied for a uh, hundred, hundred or so domestic jobs um, in the intelligence community. Is that something you can just – Like nowadays, I feel like anytime you apply to anything, it's
0: like um, you got to fill out a bunch of paperwork online. Where there or was just kind of like forward your resume somewhere. Easy
1: for you? Or Was that like a lot of? No, I think doing a hundred so, jobs to be. So it it actually is part of what we'll talk about later. You know, the workforce um, stuff that I've done is I I had a professional resume writer. I sent a hundred resumes out to all these companies, and I got no human response. So ultimately I found myself, well, I, I'm about to finish my bachelor's degree. I have a top secret clearance. I've just done 10 years active duty, all in the intelligence capacity and I can't get a job. In, in government or around government doing these things. Like they told me that I was the creme de la creme, the best of the best. Like, what are you, what are you talking about, yeah, you know? Like, like, in my mind at the time, I'm like, I, I'm as good as it gets, and yeah, I can get a job. I'm the man. The man I, literally. I'm literally LeBron James. Why is no one signing me to a contract? Seriously, seriously. Um, uh, turns out I was more like that that guy, I, I don't know sports, I'll give you a sports analogy. I don't watch sports, so oh, okay. yeah. Um, I tried, I, I tried, and I said not ask for that. So basically what happened was, Ultimately, through my network, um, I caught wind of an opportunity opened up in Beirut, Lebanon, um, at the time, 2014, ISIS, uh, due to the United States of America was on the rise. Um, uh, and they were, they were just knocking down doors of countries and, uh, they had come to the border of Lebanon and actually taken over a smaller town in the North. So, uh, through the U S state department in partnership with the department of defense, um, I went over there as a consultant to help teach, uh, some selected individuals of the Lebanese uh, government and military to um, use uh, unconventional methods to seek out anybody who was trying to plot or do terrorist activities in their country that would destabilize them. And ultimately, at the time, Lebanon was viewed as a, as a last defense against, um, the rise of ISIS. So in working directly with, uh, the Lebanese government and Lebanese armed forces, I was able to play a very, very minor part in them successfully, um, working with different partners and allies to push ISIS back. And then also to, um, go on the offensive a little bit.
0: Yeah. And you, you,
1: when we were talking before, you mentioned how the training difference between America and training. Yeah. yeah. Can you kind of go into Yeah. That? So, so you remember like, so I'm, I'm there, I'm in a suit. So, you know, we, we call it a principle. I, I don't have firearms. So mind you, I just went from this world of special forces, you know, military operations. You always carry a gun. You always have a plan to now I'm a guy in a suit living in a luxury resort with a chef cooking me breakfast every day and in a personal driver, but I'm your, not your, allowed your to g- show, He's changed. Well, Randy's yeah, changed. Yeah. He's say changed. less, <laughs> say less, say less. Like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. when I saw my old, my old buddies is like, Hey, Hey, don't get too close peasants. You know, <laughs> yeah. I, I, like I, I drink sparkling water you know, all day long. Um, but ultimately I went there as, as a consultant like you would with any other consulting firm. So I had to take a three-week, Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. course taught by Special Operations and condense that down to two weeks and the the work day uh, in the prescribed country that I was in was from 9 a.m. till 2 p.m. with about a 90 minute break in that day for Manohe so if you speak Arabic you understand what a manoushe break is we would literally stop have our breakfast sandwiches drink coffee for 90 minutes so I had to go is this even possible? Uh, and I had also achieved the same same ten outcomes. And for me, again, tying into workforce, when I do now, this is when I really started to wake up on how how disgusting and terrible the nine to five is. How how antiquated it is. It is it is the worst thing. I I, I really feel and. and I don't have an issue working a nine to five job or I, I have so much respect for those who work nine to five jobs. My issues is with the companies and the corporations, we should not be working nine to five. People should be able to work tens, four days a week. Uh, I, really, I really truly believe that everybody given automation, everything's happening in the world, that we can draw the same salaries and only give 25 or 30 hours a week to that same employer. And that is an equitable exchange of time and resources. But anyway, um, I had to take that course and condense it down to two weeks, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. with that minutiae break every single day. And, and mind you, I'm dealing with the language barrier. I have a translator who has to translate in real time what I'm explaining. I had to translate the curriculum, gather all the right materials, all that. At the end of the day, I was able to achieve the same intended outcome in terms of my pass rate and competency rate. So it wasn't just about passing the course these individuals had to also prove that they had a high competency rate to execute certain tasks because they were highly critical, sensitive tasks that needed to be executed on behalf of their government. And I had the baseline of the real the quote unquote real course in America. And I was able to achieve excellent numbers across the board in a fraction of the time.
0: Yeah. And I want to circle back, it kind of brings me to the point of when you talk about their work schedule, the nine to two with a two hour break yeah. and yes, crunch in the air. But, it doesn't matter if you're in the military there, yeah. overseas. They still do the, hey, 35 hours of work a week, yes. you know, six, whether you're in the military, you're working a regular job, whether yes. you're, you know, working in sales overseas. They kind of, it's not like you were talking about you're working at 4 to 5, 4 a.m. to 5 p.m. Yeah. They would, it doesn't happen over there. And it seems like they're still, um, they're They're still doing the same, getting yep. up, ramped up. Yeah. And, and everyone here in body is probably an employee of a company for the most part. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Maybe there's some CEOs, but like they all probably agree with us. They're like, dude, I can get my job done in 30 hours of work a week. If you just like, if you told me and you gave me that, but there's the old school heads, it's it's gotta be the
1: nine to five. You gotta work. I would love to see a big revolution in workforce and, and really as millennials and the generations uh, beneath us, really just pushing back and saying, we're not going to work these, these, like I know people right now that are driving to work for arbitrary and capricious reasons. Like the boss just says, you have to be in the office. Well, For what reason? What purpose? It's
0: crazy to me, man. I've read two studies. One was before COVID happened. And this company did a, you can work, you work four days a week. You can work from home or no, you, you can take one day off. It just can't be Monday or Friday. So Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, most people took Wednesday. Productivity actually increased. People spent less time on meetings. There was less stuff that didn't need to get done. You didn't have the meeting to have the meeting. Exactly. And it's like, people are actually more focused. Hey, got to get this done for it for tomorrow. Yeah. And, and then the other one was productivity during COVID or remote went down, I guess, 5%, but it offset the money that you're paying on all this rent and all this stuff. So you can, you're saving a hundred thousand dollars by not having anyone in office. Now you can, that 5% you're missing, just hire another sales rep or whatever you do. Literally. You can hire one more person for 60 grand yep. that's going to make up and get you over hundred, you know, four percent Exactly, exactly. And it just I think people are too scared to
1: yeah. take a well, chance. I think too, it really comes down to it requires good leadership. So 2020, during COVID, 2020 through 2021, I ran, I created and then ran a program for uh, a robust nonprofit. So I had uh, quite the budget and I was able to uh, fully staff it out. 12 direct reports with a bunch of people downstream from there and I I had to go out of my way as the leader as the state director of this newly founded program to figure out the right metrics, the right yeah. uh, key performance indicators, How, and really what it comes down to is you have to hire analysts. So I, I got them to believe in the, my way of leadership and my philosophies, and they hired me a systems analyst. So I had somebody running in the background that's just verifying actual productivity, not time that they're squiggling the mouse, not emails being sent. Yeah. Productive work that's achieving a, a key performance indicator that feeds into one of the core goals of our mission. Yeah. And everybody on my team, they knew these are our three mission goals. Here are your individual key performance indicators. And this is how your work directly feeds into that. I, I took, I treated them like special operations operators, like special forces individuals, and said, execute your mission. Yep. Get, get your work done uh, Get it done at 9pm If you get it done at 9pm I can literally see it Because you're in a system You don't even have to tell me I worked at 9 That's why I left at 4 I don't care I tell them My business is I don't care Because every Friday I'm going to get a report That shows me individual work productivity and then i could target individuals and go well i can one highlight my my best performers it's something we don't do enough and i was able to showcase my best performers and my underperformers i was able to either partner them with the best performer or jump in there and get that 15 20 minute meeting with them and really because it was covid 2 i really adopted the 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 mindset of i'm checking your welfare i'm not going to jump in and say why why aren't you productive what's going on Hey, how's your, how's your home life going? Do you have the right equipment at home? Do we give you the right setup? Are you well taken care of it? I really believe that if we first focus on people and their wellness, then we'll get all the productivity yeah. out of people that we need and want. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's go
0: back here. You're, you're in, yeah, in yeah. Your Lebanon. Yeah. yeah uh, you're working. What's it like living there compared to States? You told this a funny story of like, I didn't know what the fuck Amazon
1: was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so 2014 till, so I, I bought my, my, my condo that, put me in connection with body. I bought that condo December of 2018. So that's when I moved here. So from 2014 till December of 2018, I'm living in Beirut, Lebanon. I don't fully understand... How the West uses Instagram So in Lebanon is where I started using Instagram So I have all these Middle Eastern Arabic friends Who I love You know, to this day I love the Middle East dearly And like, it's nothing there for for two men To send red hearts or kissy faces to each other And I come back to the U.S. And it's like, oh, you're flirting with someone And I'm like, no, man, I'm just I'm just sending emojis, you know, or, or like I, I had never really experienced Amazon. Like you go to Lebanon, uh, and anybody who's uh, from the middle East or has ever, um, been affected or or touched by Lebanon, they'll understand this. Like you are Amazon. I would fly, I would fly home with like a a backpack or like one suitcase, come back to the States or wherever I was going. And I I had a checklist from friends. You know, I say friends and family in Lebanon. I don't have any actual like, you know, origins to Lebanon, but some of these friends became my family and I'm like, okay, I need to get... 14 Chuck Taylor's. I need to get some Nike, uh, some Nike uh, Max. I need to get uh, some Ralph Lauren shirts, this one specific soap, this kind of candy, and you are the Amazon. So when I came back December 2018, going to 2019, like literally. Amazon was new to me like oh my gosh I can get everything I want delivered to my doorstep you know so it's like it was a a big culture shock coming back I mean five four and a half to five years abroad mostly based out of Beirut, Lebanon where I again worked for uh, the U.S. State Department as a as a consultant. Uh, I also studied in the Lebanese American University in Beirut academically for two years. And then intermittently, I went to Europe. So I took a lot of trips to Europe. And in there, I actually took a, an entire nine-month period um, where I went and experienced Europe for like, like my first real time. Yeah. And that was, that was kind of a wild ride in itself.
0: You, you leave to Lebanon, you had a Blackberry, you're asking people for their BBM numbers and you come L- back and literally. like Blackberry's out. What literally, is going on? Literally
1: like, Hey, can I get your
0: BBM? <laughs> you know, the that, they're like, and can me BBL? like, what are you yeah. talking about guy? <laughs> All right. So you spend those nine months traveling. You're like, you're like yeah. oh, I've done it. I've worked. I'm going to travel Europe. Yes. We'll, uh, This is a couple of stories. What are some of your favorite spots you've been? Yeah. Any good stories from all your
1: trip? Absolutely. So first and foremost, my favorite country to go to is Lebanon, hands down. My favorite country in the world. Um, But so now, again, I kind of live life in reverse. So I went to college later in life and I, and I wanted to like touch on some of those experiences. So now I'm a college student. I, or I'm about to become a college student. I just finished working. I've got, got a nine month gap. I'm going to just go travel Europe. And I'm also at the time 32, 33. And and I've done, I've done pretty well for myself in life at this point. You know, um, again, the taxpayers, the U S government paid me pretty well throughout my entire career. Yeah. yeah, They pay you well. And you're living for, for for you're just just stacking, stacking stacking money. Yeah. So I go to Europe. I'm like, I'm going to go to Greece first. Everyone talks about Greece. Great, great country to be in. I'm going to stay at a hostel. This is amazing. I land in Greece at like 9 p.m. on, I don't know, let's say a Friday. I I don't know which day of the week. It was like 9 p.m. I get my bags. I'm in Europe for the first like real Europe trip. Uh, This is... Circa 2016 So there's also a little bit of instability With what's happening in North Africa So a lot of migrants coming to all these different countries And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do a hostel All my friends talk about these great hostel experiences Well, their great hostel experiences Were when they were 19 and broke I'm, I'm 32 and set So I go into that hostel Scott, I, I swear I swear my life I, This is one of the most uh, afraid moments of my life And I probably had nothing to be afraid of But I just never I didn't know what it was I just know all these Bougie, intelligent you know Academically Astute people They're like Oh I go to All these hostels yes. And I get a This host- is a holiday inn. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And they, they Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I get in this Hostel in Athens And I don't know if I just picked the one where it's like all the drug abusers or <laughs> I felt like I was in, and again, no, no disrespect. I felt like I was in like in a drug detox facility. Uh, I got onto my bed, top bunk. I'm whole, I'm clutching my bags and I'm like, I, I can't sleep here. So after about 90 minutes, I got up and just walked the street of Athens until I could find a, a more, more quality hotel. Well, you realize you you're actually in the, the New York city comedy. subway. Yeah. yeah. You're in the New, yeah, New York yeah. city subway, in in city city hospital subway hospital. and you know, maybe With some rats everywhere. Yeah. No, I pulled up that booking.com. Let me get some five star reviews. You're like, you know what? I budget for nine months. I'd rather stay nicer and be safe for four months.
0: Literally.
1: (laughs) Literally. (laughs) Yeah. We're going to cut this trip short and we're going to live a life of luxury. Yeah. So from there I went from Greece. I was in Greece for about, about a month from Greece. Then I jumped over to, um, France for about a month, traveled the country a bit. Um, Spain for a month, uh, on this, on this particular trip and just kind of like went month to month around different countries. I really like immersing myself in culture. I wasn't trying to like check off as many countries as I could. Uh, And I do have very fortunate have friends all over the world in different countries. So every time I was going to a new country after that initial Athens night in Athens, because even in Greece, I had friends that were like, dude, what are you doing? staying in a hostel? Like, my gosh, like, don't do that. You know? So, I really like going to countries for an extended period of time and, and living in communities, living among the people, eating local food. Uh, of course, I like to do the touristy things, but my big thing is when I get into a country, I want to see how they're living. I want to see what their, their everyday lifestyle is like. So
0: yeah, We talk about this, and if you are ever lucky, I know a lot of people, it's like they get two weeks off. They, you know, they have yeah. to work in the States. It's tough to work overseas yes. for them, for your job. I get it. So you're taking your two weeks off. Yeah. You, you want to try to go – three, four, five. Yes. I get that. But if you have a luxury up where you can take an entire month off, yes, or not off, but you can work yep. from a, from somewhere where well, you talk about this, it's, I perfectly would be like, let's just go, go to Norway for this month. Next yeah. year I'll do Sweden. Or if you can live somewhere for three months in the summer, exactly. and you get away from Arizona. If you have the job that will let you now working two to 11, a little tougher to a little do. Tough. Yeah. But if you can do that, you go there, be efficient with your time. Because when I went overseas, I worked half days and I just yeah. took half days off. Yep. But I was very efficient with my time. I was working; um, it was like three to eight p.m. there. Yes, overseas, and I was like, "Go to a month somewhere. Go to a month. Get yeah. go to the same bar, check out everything, yes. become the American. It's it, it's a lot more fun,
1: it you is. know." Well, I did that last summer. I went to a Exit Festival in in Serbia with some of my friends from Switzerland. So we all met up, got to hang out then, and a fellow body body bro, uh, Lance. Robinson. He joined us there. So yeah. Right? Is he ever coming Never. back? Hey, he is back. He's always here. He's here. He's here with us You yeah. know, in spirit. <laughs> um, but Lance met up with, with myself and a bunch of my friends from Switzerland. We had a great time in Serbia and I had planned after that Serbia week at the exit festival to go two weeks in Norway my first day in Norway, I was like, screw this. I'm staying here for, for at least a month. So I ended up staying in, in Norway for, for five weeks. And again, I had, I had the luxury and the, the right resources to make that pivot, but I had to work, you know, yeah. I, I, I had stuff going on in my company. I had some training, some meetings. So like you, uh, I just, you know, I'm, I find myself working 10 PM till one or 2 AM. And I, I got a local gym membership and I, I got an Airbnb in a predominantly local community and try to get to know people around me. And I, I really like to Travel that way, and of course, you know I did some city hopping and stuff like that. You want to see the country, yeah. But for the most part, I try to stay based in in Oslo uh, as a primary base, and I. S- spread out to like Bergen and some of these other places across Norway. It was fun. Absolutely.
0: Was fun. Well, I, this is a, for some of you that don't know, We had not mention the beginning, so it's going to be a two-part episode. So we have the Randy pre-moving to Scottsdale. Yeah. So you get to learn about Randy before. And now we're going to be talking about the Randy that mostly everyone knows. The more fun <laughs> Randy. So uh, we'll get into that. So this is the end of part one. Next week we'll have part two coming out. So. Appreciate you, Scott. Thanks
1: for having me.